Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? If you're new to Fullness, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Pray that God has already blessed you through the awesome time of worship. At the end of the service, we're going to have communion together, and you'll have an opportunity to receive prayer. If you are a regular attender at Fullness, uh, we're asking that you would be here this Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, a little different time, a little earlier, so we can have dinner and have the chili cook on. Classy video. We've spared no expense on our video production team. Uh, Six o'clock this uh, Wednesday night, and we'll uh, definitely have you out of here before eight o'clock. So 7.30 to quarter of eight, we'll have you done uh, after the family meeting. So hopefully you'll be here. Um, This is going to be, I think, our 27th annual family meeting, uh, which uh, the numbers are starting to overwhelm me. 27th. I was thinking the other day that if you divide things into nine-year increments, um, assuming I'm going to go another nine years, which I think I might uh, as pastor here, uh, I'm entering the fourth quarter of uh, ministry here at Fullness. And my wife always asks me, why are they holding up four fingers uh, at the football game? When they enter the fourth quarter, you know, football players, they'll start holding up four. Some of you are like, oh, I get it now. They're entering the fourth quarter which basically means uh, this is where the game is won or lost. Many times is in the fourth quarter of the game. And my desire uh, is to go really full out, uh, to really do what God has called me to do in this place. But I'm at the point where um, the game to me is not, it really doesn't have an end point. Uh, Let me see if I can explain My goal in the fourth quarter of ministry here is to pass on what God has done in this place to the next generation. To to begin really, and we already have begun this process of saying, what's next? God, what do you want to do next in this place? And so our heart, my heart, is to really invest in the generations that are coming, in the next generation of leadership here at Fullness, in the, in the young adults that have been raised from children through uh, in this church and to hand off something of value. Uh, we've always desired to be a multi-generational church with a long-term goal. And to do that, <clears throat> one of the things I've learned in all my years of ministry is this, is that If you desire to hang on to the past and everything that is engaged in the past life of the church, then it's really difficult to move forward. That really, God has done great things in this place in the last 27 years. And I'm thrilled with what he's done. But if I want to live in the same format of the past, if I want to live in the same music, if I want to live in the same service type or the same way that fullness does things, then it will prohibit us from moving forward. It takes a sacrificial mindset for people of my age. Let's just be honest. People of my age, I have to sacrifice things from the past that I really liked in order to move forward into the future and to have something to hand off. And that is my goal. We'll talk... Um, The family meeting is this Wednesday night where we kind of look back and look forward. And so these two weeks, I want to talk about the aspect of sacrificial living and talk about a sacrificial future. By that, I mean looking to the days ahead and be willing to let go of what's not really important in the past, so to speak, in order to move 
move ahead. <clears throat> By now, I'm a grandfather of two. Here's uh, one of the joys of my life. This is Leo. He's two and a half. Um, this is Leo's face uh, a week ago as he's uh, going up a roller coaster at Disney World. This is his first roller coaster. And this is the joy of looking to the future. Now let's see what happens as the roller coaster uh, tops the hill. Going up, 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 hi! Ellen! Up, up, hi! And... I don't know if you can hear his little voice. He's going, no, no. <laughs> this is the look of a person going into the future. This is the look of reality. <laughs> Many of us, with joy, we look forward to what God is going to do. And then we hit tomorrow. And this is the way we respond. I want to talk about the future and looking to the future, and I want to talk, kind of give you a background story and then some points that I think over, and I'm going to use it for the next two weeks. So I've got like five points today and five points next week. Isn't that fun? It's 10 points over the next two weeks. I started to do all 10 today, and I thought, well, some of you may have places to go, so we'll do, we'll do the rest next week. There is a king in the Old Testament, remember the nation of Israel after the time of Solomon divided into two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Judah was ruled over the descendants of David. Israel was ruled over a number of wicked kings from various families. Down the line, about two, three hundred years after the time of David and Solomon, um, I think he's the 13th or 14th king of Judah. There's a king that is mentioned, and not just mentioned. He's actually given more space in the Old Testament other than David and Solomon. He's given more space and talked about than any other king of Judah. And he enters in and he does a number of great, great reforms and things within the kingdom. For once, for one thing, he removes the high places. By high places, I mean the, uh, the places, that's a euphemism in the Old Testament, for the, the places where idol worship took place. Baal and Asherah were worshipped up on a hill at the high places. It says in Kings, he removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Now, <clears throat> think about this. I've just, I'm in reading Numbers, and I'm getting to the place where, uh, in Numbers, where, and in Deuteronomy, where Moses, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel complains. Do you remember? It? They did it all the time. But this time God just says, I've had enough, 
and he sends fiery serpents, fiery serpents into the uh, snakes, into the the nation, and they start dying. And Moses pleads for the people. God says, "Put a bronze serpent on a pole, hold it up. Everybody who looks to it will be saved." They kept that thing around, that bronze serpent. It's almost, almost a thousand years later, and they've still got the bronze serpent. But now, instead of just a symbol of what God has done, it's become an idol of worship. By the way, this is a, that's a whole sermon on worshiping the past, right? Where God did something, God moved, and now instead of just saying a, a place of remembrance, it becomes a place of worship. God never intended for them to be worshiping this snake, this bronze serpent. But it is a picture. It's a picture of Jesus. Even Jesus refers to the bronze serpent. Just as the bronze serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's going to refer to it. But this king has enough guts, so to speak, to say the people are worshiping this thing. Even if it's a thousand years old, I'm going to tear it down. That takes guts, doesn't it? To go in and just rip it out and tear it down. Not only that, but he repaired the temple. The temple doors had been shut by an earlier king. Uh, It's not even open. Not open for business. The most important center where God's presence is supposed to be, the place of worship, the doors have been shut. It's in such a state of disrepair. I don't know what you think happened in the nation of Israel or Judah in Jerusalem during the time of the kings, but there were times when nothing took place. You would think, oh, surely they did all of these things. The Levites were worshiping and Passover was taking place and they had the temple. It must have been awesome. Hey, there were times, years, where the doors were nailed shut. He goes in Repairs the temples. He reconsecrates the Levites. He, he, he gets the priestly. I mean, what, they weren't even doing their business. I mean, the Levites, their only business was really to, uh, to worship God, to keep the temple going. The doors are nailed shut. What are they doing? Uh, growing crops or something. I don't know what they were doing, but they weren't Levying at the time, doing their job. Um, he returns the people to a heart of worship. He he really focuses the the nation away from idols and away from other things, pulling the nation back to God. It says in Chronicles, our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. The heart of worship is the, the heart that looks to God and says, you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. The nation had, had gone the other direction. They, they weren't looking toward God. They were looking away from him. Their backs are turned to God. He reinstates Passover. <clears throat> Hadn't been practiced for years. I, again, I think we think the Jews of this day, this time, must have done Passover and the feasts. and Man, they weren't, they weren't doing anything. And this was the good nation, by the way. The descendants of Judah were supposed to be, compared to Israel, the tribes of the north, they were doing well. 
He gets made fun of because he wants to reinstate Passover. He's mocked. But it says the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. As a result, revival occurs. Revival occurs. All of these things take place under this king. And as a result, it says there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, son of David, which was, again, about 300 years before, it has been a long dry spell. There had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them for their prayer, reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. There's joy, there's prosperity, there's peace and protection over the land. All because this king, by the name of Hezekiah, brings the nation back to a place of worshiping God. Hezekiah was an awesome king. He was blessed of the Lord. God, great things were going on in the nation as prosperity and worship. And, and then Hezekiah gets sick. He, he gets an illness. And the prophet Isaiah, yes, that prophet, the prophet Isaiah comes into Hezekiah and says, hey, get things in order or you're going to die. <laughs> Which, it could have been a little softer. Isaiah's bedside manner was evidently not that great. Uh, but he basically says, hey, get things ready, you're, you're going out. Hezekiah, after Isaiah leaves, Hezekiah cries out to the Lord. He mourns, he weeps, he wails. And as Isaiah's walking away, the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and says, hey, go back to Hezekiah and tell him. I've heard his prayer, I've heard his cry. He's going to live for another 15 years. And as proof of it, I'm going to make, he gives him a miraculous sign where the sun backs up on the stairs of Ahaz. You know, it's just, a, I mean, that's a miracle, right? The sun backing up. Um, in case you know, yeah, that's a miracle, backing up. Um, and so Isaiah goes back in. Hezekiah rejoices. It's awesome. Not long after that, the Babylonians send some representatives to see Hezekiah. They've heard he's been sick, but heard he's been made well. So they send some people to, to, to say, hey, glad you're healthy, king. Hezekiah, at this point, it says pride has entered his heart. And as a result, when the Babylonians, remember, during this time, there were the Assyrians and the Babylonians were starting to, the two power countries were playing against each other. And probably the Babylonians were trying to make a treaty with uh, the nation of Judah, kind of the, anything against the Assyrians. It's kind of like Alabama and Auburn. I don't care who they're playing, we're rooting for the other if you're against them kind of thing. But now they're coming in. Anyway, when they get there, Hezekiah says, hey, let me show you around. He opens the doors to all the treasury and the temple and shows them all their artifacts. It's, it, it says he spared nothing. He showed them the whole thing. All the riches of the temple and different places. Well, Isaiah comes in. He hears about it. 
after the Babylonians have left, and he, he comes in and says, hey, who, who, who's headed out the door? And basically has a guy saying, ah, oh, the Babylonians dropped by, wanted to wish me well. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you understand, right? Paraphrasing that, and he says, ah, they wanted to wish me well. And uh, Isaiah goes, well, what did you show him? Oh, I showed him everything. I showed him that the gold uh, shields, and I showed him all the riches, and I showed him the gold on the altar. I showed him everything. Basically, Isaiah says, you like the Babylonians that much? One day, they're going to carry all that you showed them away. And Hezekiah says, when? When, when, when is that going to happen? And Isaiah says, it's not going to happen in your lifetime, but it's going to happen later. To which Hezekiah, and I think this is really telling, says this. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. No, it's not. It is not a good word. It's a, it's a tragic word. But the word is good to him because he says there will be peace and security in my lifetime. He basically says, oh, I don't have to worry about this. This is not going to take place in my lifetime. This is, this is a man who doesn't care about the future as long as his day is good. As long as my day is good, I don't care what's going to happen in the years ahead. People, we could talk about a lot of different issues in our world today. And there is this, at times, mentality that if it's not going to take place in my lifetime, I'm not really worried about global warming. I don't care what you think about global warming, but the mentality that would say, I don't care about the environment and what's going to take place in the future, about our earth, it really doesn't matter to me because I'll be dead by then. There is something wrong about living just for the day or living for the past without casting a vision for the future. God calls us to live in all of these realities. And today, I'm focusing on the future. Now, I could preach on the present, live in the moment. Don't be so future-oriented that you're no good today. I mean, there are different angles. But right now, I want to point us toward the future. To say, God, speak to our hearts about the days ahead. Listen, this is a tough word today because it would have been better if Hezekiah had dropped dead the day he was sick. Reason? Pride entered his heart as a result. And how many of the kings fell after they battled hard for God? You saw all the good things he did, right? You did the unbelievable things as he was rising as a king and had his heart focused on God and was headed toward him. And then he gets there, he gets sick, he pleads to God. Then the 15 years that is left, he pride enters his heart. He, he exposes himself to the Babylonians. And, by the way, he gives birth to a, a, a son named Manasseh. Manasseh becomes one of the most wicked kings in the history of Judah. In other words, if Hezekiah had, been, had died that day, Manasseh would never have been born. A king who's wicked, who's going to rule for 50 years after Hezekiah's death and is really the turning point for the nation of Judah, even though they're couple of upticks 
with some other later kings. No one can turn the nation back around after Manasseh. It's years before Babylon is eventually going to conquer, but the, the die has been cast, so to speak. Here's my point. How are we going to point people to the future? How are we going to help the next generation look to God and pursue Him? Now, some of you here today are the next generation. And so I'm pleading with you to start now looking to the generation that comes after you. Hello? It's never, I I was, one of my sons uh, is 24 and he's got a good job and he's actually, money-wise, he's, all my sons are doing great because I know some of them are watching right now. You're all doing great. I love you guys. You're doing wonderfully. <clears throat> I was talking to him the other day and we were talking about financial things. And I'm like, dude, you're single. You're making money. Put every dollar you can put into retirement. He's 24. He's like, huh? Every dollar, put it into retirement. Trust me. You'll be glad I give you this word later on. Plan for the future. In other words, I don't care what age you are here today, look to the future. Don't just look to the past, though it's good to remember what God has done. Live in the present when you're with people, but at the same time, plan for the future. And here's some things that you can do that will help pass it on to the next generation. This seems really obvious, I know, but know God personally. Know God personally. It says in Deuteronomy this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. He's saying, know God in such a personal way that when you talk to people about the things of God, it's about what you know. It's about who you know. And to know and to talk about God, you need to know him personally. Every report I read talks about um, uh, the millennials. And by the way, if you're a millennial awesome. Uh, Time has already passed you by. Other generations are being named after you. It's moving on. And that's the way time is. It just keeps moving. But everything that that I've read about millennials and those who are leaving the church and the the generation, the thing they're looking for is authenticity in the way people act in their religious activities. In other words, How can you show the next generation authenticity about God if you don't even know him personally, right? They will smell a hypocrite 10 miles away. They'll know if you're just acting or if this relationship with God is real. Know him personally. Know that, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him. That means know him personally or with him and keep his commandments. I mean, it's not an either-or proposition, right? 
If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Love comes first. Commands follow after it. Love indicates a relationship with God, knowing him personally. In Acts, it says, in him we live and move and have our very being. Again, if you don't know him personally, how can you be in him and live with him and have your very being and move? It's about knowing him personally. So, again, it's not about going to church. It's not about giving resources to a church. It's about knowing God personally. That is the core of who we are as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. When we come to communion later on, you take this bread and you eat it. What does it symbolize? The body of Christ. What is it saying? It's saying, I'm taking him into me. I'm receiving, and it, he, he permeates every cell in my body. I know him personally to the point that in him I live and move and have my very being. Next is demonstrate authentic relationships. Again, authenticity is a big deal. Authentic relationships. If I'm going to pass on what I know about God to the next generation, at some point i got to be talking to the next generation, right? I've got to be engaged with those who are younger than me. We've talked about it before that uh, everybody should have a, a, a Paul in their life, right? Somebody who mentors you, someone you look up to. Everybody should have a, a, a Barnabas in their life, someone who's, who's a person who knows them and can speak truth into their life. And everybody should have a Timothy in their life, somebody they're pouring into. Somebody younger that they're passing on to the next generation uh, what's going on. And that relationship needs to be authentic and it needs to be real. But real, authentic relationships also take time. Yep, they take time. You have to figure out where you're going to invest. Listen, again, one of the things I battle as I get older, and I know I don't look old, I really look young, but I'm getting older. The, the clock is ticking uh, in my life, and I'm not trying to speak some negative thing, but I went running yesterday afternoon. I just thought, oh, it's a beautiful afternoon. I'd been out of town. I usually run with Dave Malik on Saturday morning, but wasn't able to. So I said, yeah, it's a beautiful afternoon. I'll go run by myself. Man, it was hard. Just I run all the time, but something about this five miles, it was kicking me. And I realized, I think I'm getting old. This is much harder than it used to be just getting out. I used to go run five miles without hardly breaking a sweat. And now I'm not only sweating, I can't breathe. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about walking half the time. One of the things, though, about getting older, too, you just want to stay home more. It's kind of it's a weird deal. I was, at, I, was at, I was in Macon with my... Uh, with my son and daughter-in-law, and man, a two-year-old and a one-year-old, they're, they're loud. <laughs> they're moving all the time. It's kind of like you sit on the couch, and you're like, oh, ho, 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 ho. I used to laugh at my parents, because no matter what time they came for, they always left a day early. You know what I mean? When they come see me, they would always say, Dad would be like, oh, I think we're going to get on home. I know we said we're going to stay for a week, but two days done did it, and we're out of here. We used to laugh all the time. Now I'm like, we left today early. I was like, I'm, I'm turning into him. 
Anyway, authentic relationships and being with people, it takes time. It takes investment. It is sacrificial living. Because it's saying, I don't, I'm going to get outside of myself. I'm going to do things with people in a younger generation. I'm going to invest. Demonstrate authentic relationships. Jesus was asked the greatest command. And it's these first two points. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God, loving people is living sacrificially. It's personal, it's authentic, it's real. And again, we could just stop with these two points in one sense that if we don't do these two things, none of the rest of what I'm going to tell you matters. If you're not knowing God personally in an intimate relationship and having an authentic relationship with someone that you can pour into, then none of the rest really matters. It's just kind of faking it. So get these two points in your heart and your life before as we move on. I'm going to give you the rest of the points anyway, but these are the two keys. Third one is this. Share your story. Share your story. Part of having an authentic relationship with God personally is that you've got a story to tell, right? Right? You've got a story with God. You've got a lifetime of story to tell. My wife makes fun of me on a pretty frequent basis. <clears throat> I don't know why, but she just does. She, she laughs at me because I like to share the same stories over and over again. I, I have this David Letterman sense of humor, which means if it was funny first time, it's going to be funny again, and then it'll be funnier later even. The more times you say it, the funnier it gets, really. Uh, except in my wife's experience, the more times I tell her, the crazier she goes, right? <laughs> she just kind of spins on it. You see her just roll her eyes in the background as I start to tell some story I've told before. And she's like, I'm so tired of that story. I say, yeah, but these people never heard it before. They're going to think it's great. They're not going to know that you've heard it a hundred times. She said, can't you get some new stories? I said, I could, but I have to get a new wife and new children. And it's just the work. It's so hard, right? I'm going to stick with you and keep telling the same stories again. I've never said I'm going to get a new wife. That's a... <laughs> says in the Psalms this, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. What were they telling them? They were telling them of the goodness of the Lord. They were sharing their story. He says, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. People, could it be that the, the generation that's following us Hey, Boomer, the generation that's following us is not following God because in us they have not heard the stories of our personal relationship with God and we're not in authentic relationship with them. 
But instead, what they've seen is a generation that preceded them that declares they believe in God but haven't really followed after God and their lives are no better for it. And they say, why would I follow God? You don't love my mother like you should. You don't love my father like you should. You didn't treat us well. You worked all the time. Went to church on Sunday morning, but that was about it. I don't need that. I'll just kill church. If we're going to pass on to the next generation, we have to be authentically in love with God, with each other, and share what that's done, the story of what that's done in our lives, how we're different. Listen, I could could go around the room here, and we could even talk about the times that were bad between us. I mean, there have been times, remarkable as it may seem, that every, not everybody's been happy with me. I don't know why. You know, I've, I've offended people. I, I've, I've fallen short. I've, I've not lived up to the standard that I even set for my own life. But working through those things together as a people builds strong ties. To say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I did wrong. I'm not perfect. And neither are you. Those things, those times where we've butted heads and yet stayed together are like, are like knots in a net. You know, a net to catch fish, right? It, it's got to have those knots so that it's got lines going this way and this way. If all the lines went together, the fish would just fall out. But what creates the net, I think, is those knots that are tied together. And to me, those knots are the hard times that we battled through together. And said, I'm not giving up on you and you're not giving up on me. As a result, look at the, look at the generations. The forefathers taught them to their children. And their children taught them to the children, are going to teach them to the children yet to be born. And then let's move on further than that and their children. So that we're passing along the goodness of God, the truth about who Jesus is to every generation, every generation to follow. And to do that, we need to tell our story, to share our story. And it's not just a story, it's about the reality of God in our lives. Listen, the one thing people can't argue with you about is your story, right? You could argue about certain theological aspects. Well, I think everybody should, should, uh, should be baptized, should be dunked. Because that's, that's the way Jesus was. And that's the way everybody, you know, I, I believe that. But then there are other people who say, I think we should baptize infants. I think we should baptize, it's like a, it's like a covenantal relationship. And it works like this. And, I mean, we can ar- argue these theological points and get nowhere. But one thing people can't argue is once I was blind, but now I see. Share my story about what God has done. And it's transformational in people's lives. But if you're not in an authentic relationship with someone, you're not telling your story to them. Then it might be good to listen. I have a bad habit of just speaking and telling. I mean, listening to people's dreams, hearing what they're doing. We need to examine what God is doing in all of our lives. And it's like 
It's like having a mirror that we can hold up. When we hear a dream, when someone, when someone shares their dreams with me, I want to be like a mirror to reflect the goodness of God back to them and to even reflect what their dream is. Because sometimes in sharing, a person sharing their dream, they may realize, oh, wait, this is a nightmare. This isn't a dream. But until they see it for what it is, and if they don't have anyone to reflect it off of, but at the same time, you may push them forward and say, that's great. Now take the initiative. Let me help get you going. Let me help push you forward so that we can see your dream come true. You know, I've heard, I think it was John Maxwell who I first heard say, you know, I live to make your dreams come true. It seemed really corny to me at the time. Um, but the more I, I, the older I get, the more it's like, I, I really want to do that. I want to help the next generation. I want to help them achieve their dreams. And we can pray about it. We can seek after God. We can, we can say, God, let this be done in their lives. Let's pray about it. Let's seek after God. Let's hear from him about next steps. Because it's one thing to have a dream, right? This big dream out there in the future. But it's another one to say, how am I going to get from here to there? And one of the things an older generation can help a younger generation do is to say, look, just in case you want to know, I'm going to help you. I want to help your dream come true. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. But about two steps down from here, there's a pothole that I stepped in that cost me like five years of my life. You might want to avoid that. Go around it so that your dream can come true. Psalm 145 says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Again, I think this is an aspect of helping a person's dreams come true by speaking of what God has done to say, look, he did it for me. He can do it for you. He can do it for you even bigger than he did it for me. Because you're God's workmanship. Look, at some point I'm flipping my conversation to say I, I, I am God's workmanship, but here's what I want to say. You're God's workmanship. You are created in advance to do good works. Uh, he, he, he's, he's got a purpose for you because before you were even, he knew you in your mother's womb. He prepped you for this. He's made you for this. To release people to achieve the dreams that God has got for them. Too many times, people, we see these kind of passages as speaking to us, which is fine. I think if we're going to really pass things on to the next generation at times, it's not just about me. It's about how can I pass this on to my children and their children. Now, like I said, I was with Leo and Sophie, and they're two and a half and not one. And my whole mindset is flipping as a grandparent to say, I want this boy and this girl to come up to know God fully. I, I want them to achieve their dreams. I want them to achieve their destiny because God has created them for a purpose. They are, they are his masterpiece that he created in advance for them to do. How can I help them achieve that in their lives? I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. 
not just the old generations, not just my present generation, but the future generations. I want to sing of the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. Do you remember the story of Elisha? He comes to Elijah and says, I want to do, I want to do even more than you've done. I would have said, I've done some pretty good things. If I was Elijah, you know what I mean? Elijah did some, he was a fairly impressive resume. And here comes this young buck and says, I want to do double. I want double the anointing. What a joke. You've done nothing up till now, farmer boy. Because he was a farmer, get it? And, and so, you'll think about it later. Go read the Bible. Anyway, he's, he, but he says, okay, hey, follow me and Stay with me, and if you see when I die or what happens to me, then God will bless that. I mean, Elijah stuck to him, burned his plow, killed the oxen, said, I ain't ever going back. I mean, that's what he did. He said, I'm, not, I'm point forward. Stuck with him the whole time. I mean, look at the ministry of Elijah. It's unbelievable. As much as Elijah did, Elisha was even, even pushed things forward. I mean, in the Bible, you have this constant Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, Jesus to his disciples, Paul to Timothy, passing it on to the next generation. A number of years ago at the Olympics, the fastest, um, the fastest man in the 100 meters was a Canadian and um, he won with like a nine point, I don't know, four. It was, it was the smoking time. I mean, he killed it. Two days later, he ran the four by 100. You know, you run the 100 meters by yourself with the starting blocks, right? Four by 100, you got four different guys running the 100 meters. And Donovan was the first guy out of the blocks. And he, again, smoked it. But do you know the guys who ran two, three, and four all ran faster 100 meters than he did? Why? Because they already had momentum. They were moving by the time that baton got handed off to them. The, the point is this. If we say to a generation, you've got to just start from where you are, then there's this slowness to get going. But if we say, I'm going to push you forward, so that you're going to achieve greater things than I'm achieving? Glory to God. What God can do in the days ahead. I want my children to far exceed me. I want them to, to know God more intimately. I want them to proclaim the word of God more powerfully. I want them to pass on the, the truth of God and his presence in their lives in a more intimate and real way. I pray that this morning, and again, we're going to talk about this even some more next week, but just start to let it permeate your life. That one of the things we live for is to pass on this message of the goodness of God to the generation that follows us. When we come to the table of the Lord this morning, which we're going to do right now, we're going to take the bread and the cup. 
And do you remember what Jesus says to them? There, there's so many truths, I think, that we gain when we come to communion together. We, we celebrate what Christ did on the cross, his broken body, his shed blood. Because his body was broken, we who were many from all these different backgrounds, we're now one. The blood of Christ shed because we had sins that needed forgiven. But what did Jesus say to them? Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said, remember my death until I come. There's a remembering, there's a past aspect to communion, but there's also a future reality that has yet to be come in, which is Christ is coming. And in the proclamation of the moment, we're both looking in the past and looking to the future. So as we come to the table of the Lord, it's not just what God did. It's what God did, what God is doing, and what God will do. And this morning, I'm asking you to come and say, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. May I live each moment for your glory, but give me a, give me a, a vision of how I can pass this reality on to the generations that follow. May I tell the story of your goodness to this next generation and to their children and the children yet to be born and even their children in the days ahead. Lord, we thank you as we come to your table, as we come to this time where we celebrate your goodness, we celebrate what you've done, that God, we would indeed remember until, remember until we proclaim that you are ruling in our lives and that you are moving among us. But God, at the same time, I pray that you would, at this moment, give us vision for how we can pass on this oh, great message to the generations that follow. May we take of this table in a manner that's worthy of all that it cost and all that it proclaims today. In Jesus' name, amen.